Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you, I've noticed something in Burbank lately. Uh, we have parrots. We have like this outbreak of these African parrots, and now we have crows. Like the other day, I saw a squirrel that was unfortunately died, and there's not a lot of squirrels in Burbank. So when I see a dead one, I go, it's like almost the whole population. And these crows were fearless. I mean, I was trying to get to my car, and they just sit in the street and they don't move. But every morning, we hear these uh, these these birds and this this loud squawking, and I had no idea what it was. And I was talking to somebody, and they're actually African parrots, which is just so ironic. I mean, it's, it's just weird. I mean, I, first of all, I thought birds went south for the winter, but they're coming out west, and they're in Burbank, and they just, they don't leave you alone. Anyway, enough about that. Enough about the birds. We have a great show today. We have a gentleman who, uh, we were just talking, he's a very, very nice guy, uh, Brian McNamara. How you doing, Brian? Good. How are you, Steve? I, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm, I'm glad you got here, because of traffic. Now, you hit it on the... Where'd you hit it? Uh, I'm over on the west side where they're, you know, building that Metrolink into Santa Monica. And, boy, it can just be a nightmare. And so the first 20, 25 minutes of my drive was going about a mile and a half from my place to the 405. Thankfully, we all know the 405. Right. I got on that and I sailed. So I'm here pretty close to one time. Well, yeah, well, you know what's funny about it? It's because I know you're, you're from back east. You're from uh, Long Island, right? Mm-hmm. And it's so funny, and I grew up in New Jersey, how... Growing up, we always complained about the traffic, like you for the LIE, or oh, even yeah. getting out of Manhattan when they're after a sporting event. You know, you sit there and go, "Oh my God!" And me, you know, going to the Jersey Shore. Right. But when you come out here, it's it's like people from back east. They come out and they go, "Are you joking me?" Yeah. They go, you're, "They go to because I live in Burbank." They go, "You're you're 20 miles from the beach." Go, yeah. So you make it in half an hour. No, maybe an hour <laughs> and a half. No, it's crazy. I and the weirdest thing is the moment you give yourself, you know, forty five minutes to an hour to do a fifteen twenty minute drive, it's a fifteen twenty minute drive. You know, it's it's always the reverse. Isn't that the worst thing? You sit there, you go to an audition or something, and as worse as like when it's a hot day, right? And you don't want to sit there with your car running and with the air conditioning because people think you might be leaving a parking spot. So you sit <laughs> in your car and for like ten minutes, as soon as you start sweating, you put the car on for a second. You're like, no, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. <laughs> right. No, no, you're from Long Island, and now you, we talked before you got on air. You're from you're from a big family. Yeah, I'm the youngest of six. Okay, of six. Okay, okay. now yeah. we, how was the breakup? Was it boys, girls, or three and three? The Brady Bunch. Okay, so now did is that why you got into acting? You think because you had to try to entertain to get your meals, or how that happened? <laughs> you picked up on that pretty quickly. I I did. I was I was an entertainer. My my mom was uh, sick from the time I was young, and. Um, I just sort of fell into this role in our family of making people laugh and especially making her laugh. Um, and uh, I had no, other than a love of movies and things like that, I had no real awareness of this business and going into it. And in college, somebody pushed me into acting and I went, oh, okay, so this is really what I do. What did you go to college for? What was your major? What did you want to be when you were like, Oh, uh, my parents wanted me to go into business. So uh, real estate, they were both in real estate. Okay. So I was getting my real estate license and studying business. And I walked into the theater department on somebody's advice. And I just got this vibe that, you know, this was where I was supposed to be. And and I had a, a good time there. I, I worked backstage because I was terrified of acting. But by my junior year, somebody pushed me into a play. And uh, I, honestly, when I walked on stage, I've never felt so sure of anything in my life so Where, where'd you go to school albany new york okay albany. albany okay so you're you're close I and mean, it's funny that's what i always think when i talk to people from the midwest who get into acting it's one mm-hmm. thing but when people from back east you have new york you have you know the the, the you're not too far i mean albany is, it seems far but i mean albany's not that far from new york city no no and then you know it's the natural progression you know especially if you live around there that you start out there and that's what i did the first couple of years i did flamingo kid when i was there and then came out here so that's a great movie. It's so funny, and if people haven't seen it, Flamingo Kid has Matt Dillon in it, and it's and it's just I'm Fisher it's, Stevens, yeah, yeah, and it's and I, Googie Gress. We're all still friends. See, that's so cool because I I remember that movie, and it's so funny because even now, you know, I'll, I'll wear like a shirt. Like I was at a party one night, and I had like this kind of shirt, and I always wear hats. Uh-huh. And the guy's like, "You, what are you, the Flamingo Kid?" And I'm like, <laughs> I, I, "I like that's a good guy that actually remembers that movie because right. right. it, it was uh, it was uh, Gretzky's wife, wasn't it, Janet yes. Jones? Yeah, yep. Janet so, Jones was her so now how did you get to that movie? Because when you graduated college, did you go to New York? What what happened? How did you get 
to a point where you actually got in a movie at a pretty young age, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, honestly, the the funny thing is that I don't think I ever would have been the guy who would have just knocked on doors and banged and put my picture all around and stuff. I got really fortunate. The summer after college, one of the directors who worked with us was directing down at uh, North Carolina Shakespeare Festival. I went down there to, he wanted me to play Romeo, but the artistic director said, uh, no, you have no experience, that's not going to happen. But you can be an intern, which was only a position only held by North Carolina School of the Arts students. So while we were doing this, we workshopped a play, and we brought it into New York the next year, and all these agents came to see these North Carolina School, School of the Arts students, which is you know akin to Juilliard. And there I was with a fantastic role, so I ended up getting a bunch of agents pursuing me, and one thing led to another. I signed with a guy named Dave Gus, and then I met Marge Simpkin, for, uh, the uh, casting director, and uh, got the role. Now, you got Flamingo Kid, and mm-hmm. then now, I know you eventually also were on St. Elsewhere somewhat. Yeah. Now, yeah. now, did you? how long did you stay in New York? I mean, because I always wonder, because so many people, and I've learned that I, I really didn't know this, because you know, I did stand-up, my background was that, so uh-huh. you know, we, we live wherever, and we go on the road. Right. But I've learned so many actors have lived in New York, but they've come to L.A. for pilot season and stuff, and then they go back, and, they, and it's so funny, they go back and forth, and then finally, when they move out to L.A., they get a series in New York and have to move back. Right. What was your, what, how did you end up getting to LA? Well, the, to touch on that, I've never worked back in New York since I left, which is a bummer to me. I keep hoping, you know, I'll go, I'll stay in a hotel, I'll get per diem, I can see my family. I've never gotten a job back there. But uh, I came out here, you know, my, one of the priorities for me, I knew since I was a little boy that I wanted to be a dad. I always knew I wanted to be a dad. I knew that being in the theater world in New York really wasn't going to afford me that. Um, So I quickly came out after Flamingo Kid. Number one, everybody said, oh my God, when this movie, you know, air goes on screen, forget about it. You're gone. You're, you know, going to be so famous. (laughs) That's an interesting road. But uh, I came out here because I wanted to work in television and film. It was more lucrative. But now you did—you did get a little. I mean, I'm sure you did get started getting recognized from the Flamingo Kid. I got recognized, but you know what they don't tell you is that once you come out here, like our, you were talking about uh, my friend Larry Poindexter, you suddenly become a journeyman. You know, you literally you just keep auditioning, and I don't know if you know through comedy you did this stuff too, but. You just keep auditioning. You get really close because you're very good. But there are a lot of people that are very good, and there are also a lot of people that just look the right way. You know? Right. So, um, so suddenly you're just in it for the long haul, and that that takes a little getting used to. But I I think it's better that way to be to be honest. Yeah. Where did you move? I always wonder when people move out. Where was your first apartment in Hollywood? You came out in like '86. Yeah. So I moved out in. 2000 i think so it's changed a lot but i always i always crack up because it's coming from back east it's such a different world oh yeah where did you move because everyone always seems like they moved to the wrong place because they're like (laughs) wait a second this looks nice oh yeah this looks nice uh whatever crenshaw that's nice Uh, right no i moved to the right place i moved across the street from muscle beach in venice okay the old muscle beach um and my first thanksgiving out here was with googie gress another actor from flamingo kid and we cranked out our own little thanksgiving dinner overlooking the beach and it was spectacular you can't i mean that's great i mean it was a a tiny apartment and stuff and we ended up having about five or six actors all living together (laughs) crashed on the floor and on the couch as i'm sure you can imagine but uh it was fantastic now you're out here you're acting and i want to talk because we talked a little before about billionaire's boy club Mm -hmm. you know which i found out was actually the actual group in the real life the guys they named it after a place called the bombay bicycle club a bar that's what they got oh yeah i I remember hearing that back when we made it now when you made that well you got nominated for a golden globe i believe i did okay which now you're 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 not around that long you're 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 young into your career pretty much i mean flingo kid a few guest spots you know hill street blues whatever this that you know right and then you get that now did you because that that was hit pop culture and judd nelson was in it which you know and Raphael zabars who both great actors right was it a long process, and did you think it would be a big... Because it was a TV movie, I believe. Uh, it was a TV movie. It was a two-parter, okay. um, and it was directed by a Brooklyn guy named Marvin Chomsky, an old pro. And uh, no, we had a, a short, I think for two two-hour movies, we had about an eight-week schedule, and he did it in six weeks. Okay. And that was the first director I watched and went, 
that guy's fantastic. Um, but it was it was great. It, it was a great experience. Judd was fantastic. All the guys were fantastic. John Stockwell went on to be a great director. Um, and, you know, while we were doing it, I, I had a great role. I got really fortunate because I played Dean Carney, who was the main witness um, and went into the witness protection plan, a very dramatic role. Uh, and I remember as I was doing it, I was thinking – I hope I'm doing okay, you know, because uh, Marvin didn't say a lot. And one morning I walked out of my dressing room to go into hair and makeup, and he walked by me, and he just said, you know you're kicking ass, right? And I was like, really? He, oh, yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, my God, thank you, you know, which is interesting. A lot of times actors, you don't realize that actors have that insecurity, you know, and as a director you need to kind of feed them. Right, I, I, that's so true. I think because and that's like anything though. It's so funny. It's like you know, in the restaurant business, mm-hmm. you know, it's always negative enforcement. You know, it's never right. like it's not like, hey, you did a good job. And if you just said, hey, you did a good job, everyone would work harder. Right. And that's what's funny with acting. It's like you guys. The, the thing is, you're an actor. You're on set. You don't want to do a crappy job. You want to do well. Yep. And when someone tells you you're doing, and you're directing now, we'll talk about that. Right. But when someone tells you you're doing well, then you're like, wow, I want to do even better. And I understand why, like, in all facts, a lot, in all walks of life, people don't do that because it's like positive encouragement, unless you're just a jerk, and, and especially in this town because we're all insecure. Right. <laughs> positive encouragement goes so far. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it translates into being a dad, too. Do you have kids? I don't no, know. no, no. But, but I know it's, I mean, being a dad, you know, it's, well, I grew up, you know, my, my parents, my dad was strong and silent, but my mom right. always encouraged us to what to do. Right. When we did a good job, we were told we were a good job. Now, given my parents were older, my father was, you know, the East Coast uh, waspy mentality where right. it's like, you know, by fear, you know, but what we, 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 but when we did well, they said, good job. But we just, I think we did well because we didn't want to screw up. Let them down. We'd be grounded, you know, or, or I'd say, and we'd go to the room or yeah, let or, them down. Or you'd get that stare. Exactly. Yeah. So you know what I'm talking oh, about. Oh, yeah. Now, this, I, I'm going to digress, uh, just go off something with your, with your, ki- with your kids. Now, yeah. now, as a father, do you take your experiences, like how a director you liked to do it? Because, I mean, being a father, I mean, I guess you had your kids when you were young. Um, yeah, my daughter when I was twenty eight. Okay, so that that's that's young. I yeah, mean, not you know. But how did you how did you end up? Did you you know being an actor and you know having to listen to a director all day? Did did any of that stuff come into you when you raised your kids? Um, no, you know, being being a dad is the most comfortable role I've ever been in. I I just always felt comfortable from the get go. But uh, I do love. Um, Particularly coaching, not in necessarily in the acting world, but you know, uh, listening to great coaches and their motivational speeches, those are things I pick up on and try to you know um, infuse my parenting with. Uh, my son was just in a soccer tournament this weekend, and and you hope that they get paired with a coach that's good. and And his coach right now is fantastic. He's just a guy who took a tough weekend of of soccer but saw what they were doing and what they were getting better at and focused on that. And and my son had a great time because of that. You know, I so. think that's what it is. I, and I think, you know, I remember growing up playing Little League. You know, we had good coaches. I mean, I, I wasn't that good. I, I'm legally blind one eye, so I played right field. And when it was a pie, fly ball, I have bad depth perception. It was always... Right. A, it was always an interesting catch. It was like, they call me snow cone pretty much because they're right catch it. But I think it's so true when, when you have a coach, it's like, we have to remember they're kids and then that's what I've gone to games with my friends, you know, and who have kids, not out here, but back east. Right. And I, it just amazes me how, how the, some of the parents are, are just idiots. Like they're so, like my friend almost got into a fight because this guy kept yelling at the coach and my buddy's like, well, why don't you shut up? Oh, yeah, and it's like, yeah. it's like, you know, you're a reflection of your kids and a coach he can't put everything everyone in you want to right but it's it's just crazy i mean now do you ever see people who just act out of control when you're at a game oh yeah yeah i mean and what's great about the the soccer league is that they really kind of crack down on parents because a couple years ago bad things happened and uh parents got out of control and they said you know this is not what this is supposed to be about and they changed it and they changed it for the better but um my ex and I have always been vocal at sports. Uh, our daughter played basketball all through school. And when she was a little girl, when she was about eight, her and I, uh, she was playing at the YWCA. 
And her mom and I were on the sidelines yelling and cheering and stuff, but always positive. Right. That's that's and, a difference. And my, our daughter came over and said, can you guys be quiet? <laughs> and the ref walked by and he said, no, no, I like these parents because they're positive to everybody. You right. know, they cheer for the other team, too, and stuff. Because so. they're kids. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah. So I, okay, I want to get back to uh, your acting real quick. Yep. Now, when you got uh, when you got nominated for the Golden Globe, mm-hmm. what was that like? Because, I mean, you go into this role and you just, you're taking this role and it's a TV movie. And, and you know, it's like. I mean, you're you're still new in the business. Sure. Now, sure. did your agent call you? Did they call? You? How does it work when you get nominated for an award? Um, no, I, I found out when the nominations came out. That's actually how I found out. Were but, you expecting uh, it? Did, no, was there any buzz? No, not even on the radar. I hadn't, didn't even know my name was in the mix or anything. Uh, you know, all you do is you go in and you do the best job you can do. And as I say, I got really fortunate. It was a a highly dramatic role it was throughout you know the two-parter and um and it, he basically told the story from the witness stand and then went back to the you know flashbacks so uh no i just found out when the when the nominations came out and it was just sort of numb you know and discovered i had to get a nice outfit to go to the uh and my ex was my date at the time, and and we were thrilled. I sat next to David Byrne from the Talking Heads, at, you know, and I How, sat. Yeah, I mean, it must be so, you know. And I hate to use the word surreal because I I think that word so that and the word brilliant are totally overused a lot. Yeah, go, oh, he's uh, brilliant. No, no, it's 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 good. Oh you yeah, know, and surreal. But that must be surreal because you're just this kid who's been out here for years, and you're next to. David Byrne, and then you're seeing all these people. And the other thing is, it's not like you're not one of these people that it's a seat filler. You're actually that night. Right. You're one of the. I mean, I don't know who won back. Your know. name's getting announced. Yeah, and stuff. I mean that must just must have been a, a, beyond surreal. A, I I sat next to, or I should say, we were sitting there because we got there early, and then David Byrne sat down. And what was he doing hey, next to hey, you? Hey, I'm David, and I went, hi, hi, and Cheryl goes. Who, who is that? I go, it's David <laughs> Byrne from the Talking Heads. And uh, and then, you know, when the things get announced, uh, I think Tom Selleck was announcing our category, and he butchered my name, which is not an easy name when you see it on the page. And uh, much like John Travolta last year. Well, that's, <laughs> that, that was really bad. I mean, that was the height of it. <laughs> if he butchered Brian, we'd be really upset. <laughs> right. You know? But, uh, and so the butchering of my name sort of took me down a notch. But uh, I think Rutger Hauer won it that year. And that's, I mean, that's awesome. Everyone saw the hitcher. Everyone saw, you know, they, like that's a guy who, you know, what was it? Uh, Nighthawks with Stallone. Yeah. Yep. I mean, that's, it, that's the thing. It's so funny. It's like me when I meet people, I'm like, wow. You know, I see him on TV and then you sit there and I always go, like, now I'm going to probably look on Netflix to see if Billionaire's Boy clubs on there or right. amazon prime because then I'll, I'll watch it because i love doing that because i go wow it's just it's so it's just it's, it's been it's a while real. since i've seen it too yeah. and then and you know what's interesting is the people that you see pop up in these oh, movies yeah, it's great. you know so so now after that you uh were you were, were you getting roles thrown at you or what what happens because you're golden globe nominated but you're still young and you're right and you played that handsome type lead and you know in hollywood unfortunately there's a ton of handsome men but you had you had as they would call it street cred yeah i mean what happened yeah. well for me the the thing that was uh working for me was that i was able to do comedy as well as okay. drama you know so a lot of uh, actors get pigeonholed in one or the other and i could go back and forth but the reality of the process is, you know, you go to network for these new shows during pilot season, and it's like salmon going up river to spawn. You know, I mean, everybody's just going and going and going, and you get picked to be in a network audition, so it's you and one or two other actors for the same role, and then you go in the most unfriendly environment you can imagine at the studio, you know, at CBS or NBC or ABC. And you do an audition in front of 20 executives, all of whom are not going to react in a positive way until they look over their shoulder and see the big boss man right. react. Okay. So, and that's kind of what you go through. And, and that's what I went through. And I came very close on many, many things. But, uh, you know, I basically got a show each year. But then getting the show and having a pilot get picked up and get on the air, that's, you know, again, another hurdle. So... 
Well, you I, just I, keep going at it. I mean, looking at your, your your IMDb, it's it's a great, it's very uh, impressive. It's a lot of great stuff, but it's a lot of. It seems like you were on some shows like The Nut House or stuff like that. With like, it's like one season, you right? Know? And now, right. I mean, now was the Nut House? It sounds like a comedy. Was that? It was comedy college for me. Okay, I mean, it was a Mel Brooks show, and I was working with Harvey Corman and Cloris Leachman. Now, I, I got to ask you this: How? Okay, and looking back at it, because I'm a student of comedy, I'm a student uh-huh. of all I think if you say Mel Brooks, Harvey Corman, Cloris Leachman, this show is going to run for five years. It's a done I mean, deal, right? <laughs> it's like Mel Brooks is a genius. Yep. Cloris, the, Harvey Corman, I mean, I remember watching Harvey Corman with Tim Conway, some of the funniest stuff. And just, I mean, and even on uh, Blazing Saddles, you know, it's like, how, so what was that like when you got cast with them? Because they're such heavyweights. Oh, it was, you know, nerve wracking at first until you meet them and start working with them. They are. Two terrific people. I actually just worked with Cloris Leachman again a few weeks uh, back in the summer on Franklin and Bash, an episode of Great Franklin show. and Bash. And she's just as lovely as ever. But working with the two of them, that's why I call it Comedy College, because they both came up with brilliant goods. They both com- had completely different ways of getting there. Harvey, he didn't like to rehearse at all. He just wanted to do it. He had it. He had the timing. He had the rhythm. He knew it. Let's do it. Cloris would rehearse forever until you told her, we have to shoot this now. She would just rehearse and rehearse and rehearse. Because, and both of them, as I say, came up with brilliant stuff. So I just soaked it all in. I think that would be great, too. Yeah, because you're seeing the best of two worlds. Because yep. they're both so talented. And then you sit there and go, well, I mean, cause Harvey, I've heard it about Harvey Corman, too. Him and Tim Conway didn't rehearse. They would go off script just because their whole thing was Tim Conway. His goal when Kyle Burnett was to make Harvey Corman laugh. It wasn't like, no matter what, and, and the thing is, even if you were the producer of that show, if you see those two guys laughing, you know the people, I mean, as a kid, you know, you oh, just yeah. died during those scenes. Yep. Yep. So now, the, but that, was that bummed when that got canceled? Uh, oh, absolutely. You know, and, and that's the other thing too, is the, the younger you are in this business, when those kind of things happen, they really, they set you back. You know, they they hurt, especially, as you said, you look at the pedigree on that show and it seems like it should go forever. But, um, you know, that's, again, some of the great lessons you learn that toughen your skin, thicken your skin a bit and and move forward. So now that was your uh, comedy experience. Mm -hmm. You were also on Homefront. Yeah. And that was a military show. Yeah. Okay. Now, now that's a drama, of course. Yeah. So was it easy for you to throughout the years going Basically, in and out of the comedy. You're, I mean, you're an actor, so of course you're going to be able to do either. But is it is it just different? Like when you think back and you you do something with Clark Leach and then you do Homefront, which was more heavy. Is that an easy transition for you, or do you have to sit there and take some time and actually get into a role? No, I, I have a different philosophy towards acting. You know how when you're a little kid and you're playing army around the house, you you know you and the kids in the neighborhood. Everybody's got sticks. They're running around. They're ducking behind things. Somebody comes around the corner, shoots you, boom, you're dead. That's it. That's my philosophy of acting. You're playing army. Whatever you're playing, just play. You know, it's keep it, keep it fun, keep it light, even if it's dramatic, because you get this wonderful opportunity to play somebody else. And, uh, and so, no, I never really got uh, too bogged down into getting into character. I... I knew that they hired me because I had qualities of the character. I explored those qualities and I put them in front of the camera. See, that's just, that's that's great though, because yeah, it's such a thing. Now I want to talk about more things in here, but I want to talk about uh, we're going to talk about Army Wives, and then we're mm-hmm. going to talk about Euphoria and directing. Then we're going to talk about some of your shows because you have such a long. I'm looking at you have such a long list; it's impossible. <laughs> but you know, and you you're in these different shows, you know, you know different series, and you know, unfortunately, some of them only lasted for a year. Right. And, and now then, Army Wives came along, which I remember when that came out. I, I was sitting there; it was on Lifetime, mm-hmm. which is it was back then the. the Series on cable weren't that big unless right. it was pay cable. And now when that show came up and with the title Army Wise, because of course it's something different, you're an actor, you're going to do anything. Right. But how did that come about? Did, did someone know you and they wanted to approach you or and did you think it would run for so long? Uh, we didn't know it would run for so long until we were doing the pilot. Uh, you know, doing the pilot. And again, you don't really know, but boy, we had a good feeling. Um, no, this is a, an interesting story. The The role had... They'd been looking for the actor for the role of Michael Holden to play uh, Kim Delaney's husband for about two months. And suddenly I got a call. K 
can you be over at this office in half an hour? April Webster, casting and, director. And you hadn't read for it at all? They didn't even, no. You didn't, okay. Half an hour, really? And so I read it, and I was like, okay, this is in my wheelhouse. I can do this. Because my oldest brother is a retired Navy captain. Okay. So Michael Holden at the time is a colonel in the Army. Um, I go in, and I do it, and I can tell from the look on their face they've found the guy. I go through the process with Kim, get the job. We get a, to Charleston, South Carolina, and there was just sort of this feeling of lightning in a bottle. You know, there really was. We were telling great stories that had not been told before. You know, the part of the military that gets neglected is the family side of it. And for the Army, family comes first in a lot of ways, because if the family isn't solid back home, the soldier in the battlefield loses focus right so it's all tied together and we were suddenly doing this the funny thing about it is that because it was called army wives everybody thought it was a reality show and it was on lifetime you yeah know? Is, so is everything it, was wives hollywood wives is, jersey wives and you, you think about it yeah because when you when you heard and that's probably what i you know same thing you hear army wives and it's true because and we've gone that's that's what sucks because we've come into such a uh, and even worse now, but we've come in a society where if you hear a weird title, you automatically think it's a reality show. Oh, yeah. And if you hear this- People were like, convinced you know, it was. So that's, that, that's hard to get. So now you go on. Now, was it easy for you to leave to go to South Carolina because you have the kids, you have the family? or? Yeah, I'm, I, that's always challenging. On the one hand, uh, I have a certain wanderlust and I enjoy getting to see new places in Charleston, South Carolina. If you've never been, go. Just go. But um, I, you know, But at the same time, I miss my kids. But it's not a long enough season to take them out of school. Um, you never know if it's going to get picked up again. So it's not like you're going to pick up and move there. Uh, but the great part about it is that uh, the first season, my daughter, she was a sophomore in high school. She came to visit and she fell in love with Charleston. Okay. So she ended up going to College of Charleston for four years while I was there doing the show. That's great. It was unbelievable. So you, you go you go in the first season, mm-hmm. and as you said, there was a some people had a misconception it was a reality show. So right off the bat, you know, instead of people doing research, they probably lost some viewers. I mean, right. just, that's, that's just going to happen. People right. hear something. And then you go on, and it's lifetime. And now, you know, for, you know, guys, and I've, I've watched the show before, mm-hmm. but for guys, guys aren't really going to watch Lifetime. I mean, right. it's just a thing. It's like, you sure. know, it's like at Christmas, I'll watch the Christmas movies because, you know, I like to see Jack Scalia and Victoria Principal. You know? <laughs> but, Who doesn't? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but you go in the first season and you feel like there's lightning in the bottle. But because you've been with other shows where, you know, I mean, as you said, Mel Brooks closure, that's lightning sure, in the bottle. Sure. So you go in through the first season and it goes well. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure the ratings start to climb. Right. And it's getting good reviews. I know it was a well-reviewed show. I yep. think also that people thought- Highest rated show in lifetime history. And reviewed well. Like people, I think, thought the title too. I think the Army Wise, you know, and then right. they said, oh, well, this isn't what you think. Right. Now, when did you know the second season was going to get picked up? Um, that we actually knew very early on. The Before we left Charleston at the end of the first season, we got the pickup for the second season, which was a great confidence builder for us. And the other thing is that the very first season- the army was not on board with us because they didn't know what we were. And uh, the second season, they jumped on board and they gave us, you know, and they obviously had that moment of trying to kind of tell us what we were going to do. And our producers stood fast and said, no, we're doing the show. If you'd like to help us with details, please do. And they did. And I'd say the biggest one was that if you look at the first season of our show, our berets looked like Jiffy Pop popcorn hats. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and when we started the second season, the first thing we did was we got to go to Fort Bragg for two full days and meet our counterparts and things and meet a lot of army wives and families. And the f- question we got more often was, you got to fix those berets. They're just terrible. And so that's the first thing we fixed. It must be cool because I know um, Eric Palladino was on and he was on over there. And he mm-hmm. said, when they, and that was very realistic and when he met soldiers stuff like that they're like oh great job and even like you know different people who was on someone was on Southland who was on my show and cops said the same thing mm-hmm. for you it must have been great because you're you're meeting you're, you're it's a different side of what 
we see. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, I just watched American Sniper. I don't know if you saw that, but not yet. It's great. Yeah. But you see the side, you know, the, what happens to the marriage. And, right. and it's true. And you're so right when you said if you're over there and you're not focused, that happens in everything. But if in war, that's a really big thing because not being focused can get you killed. Right. But right. now, did you have people, families coming up and thanking you or just really? Because, I mean, it probably really made an awareness and that a lot of people probably who felt like, well, I'm probably the only one thinking this way. I mean, it probably did anything happen like that to you or? By far and away, the most gratifying part of the job through the years I, I mean we in a way became kind of rock stars at military posts um, but the biggest thing was the amount of people coming up to us and the amount of wives coming up to us and saying you got me through so many deployments you got me through so many things because they used to have parties they used to have army wives parties all the wives would get together and the <laughs> the growing thing that as you said it was lifetime it was a primarily female audience by the second season and growing all the way through the show we had so many wives go my husband will never admit this but he loves the show <laughs> see that's the thing and of course you know there's, there's the single guys who are going wait a second there's a bunch of divorce army wives we're going to those parties now you know you, you've worked a lot in your career and you know billionaires boy club you probably got noticed and stuff mm -hmm. like that people recognize you in the street i'm sure right you know but because once again, it's sort of like soap operas. The people who watch these shows, they're they're such great fans, and they're very—I um, don't want to say rabid because that makes them sound like they're dogs, right? Right. But but you're a handsome guy, and so you you play like you're sort of like you know the good-looking guy in the show. And so now, did you did you start getting like a lot of female fans? Like, and, and this is before like the internet was so crazy. I, mean, right. I can imagine now. I mean, if you had an Instagram back then it would be sure that's actually when it was all kind of growing you know instagram and twitter and stuff but uh, so did you did you start getting recognized a lot i mean yeah people sit there and and what was that like because one i mean your it seems like your kids are older so that mm -hmm. it doesn't affect i mean I, I always know there's a problem sometimes with especially now with the paparazzi how they take pictures of the kids which they shouldn't because it's right. a little kid and, and right. there's weirdos out there but for you what was that like because all of a sudden as you said you are a rock star i mean before if you went out somewhere and you saw someone in the military they might recognize you, but now they're probably like, hey, wait, that guy. I mean, well, what was that like? Because it's got to be a change in your life. It is a bit, but it, it was subtle enough for me uh, for a couple reasons. One is people are really, for the most part, terrific. Uh, they come up and they give you this feedback, and a lot of times they're very respectful of your space. Um, you know, especially in Charleston, there would be people walking by at a restaurant and they'd literally just put a hand on your shoulder for a second and say, I'm sorry to bother you. I just love your show and I wanted you to know. And they walk away. Un amazing stuff. And especially when my kids are around, they're very respectful of that. But at the same time, you know, I have not dealt with paparazzi. And even from Army Wives, I've not dealt with paparazzi. So I never really dealt with the negative side of it. I just got this wonderful feedback. And it was always in balance you know it was always the right amount and stuff the the tricky part was that uh with the feedback i was getting was you are the most amazing husband and father in the world and my ex who we get along famously she she was like really <laughs> now all of america thinks you're the greatest husband in the world <laughs> see that's what's funny and it's so funny because so many people they and I, people sometimes don't make the uh connection that it's an, a role right but so many though people i mean you're like the saint and there's probably some guys who hated you they're probably like well you know like i can imagine you know one will go well you're not like him <laughs> right how can like, i live well, up to michael holden <laughs> yeah exactly so now when you're on that show i know is that when you started directing and what made you want to get in directing because I, I know you I, you directed a few episodes of that so, yeah I, mean, I directed four of those ultimately um i you know just through the years i as i mentioned marvin chomsky from the billionaire boys club was a guy i'd like to be on set in between setups i don't like to go to my dressing room i like to be with the crew you know my biggest bummer about acting is especially guest stars you go in for a couple hours and you work with this great group of people and then you go away i like to be there all the time um and also through the years i've watched as tv series you know the crew is there from first thing in the morning till wrap and if a director comes in and they're not prepared, they're the ones who take the brunt of it. You know, they're the ones who work suddenly 16-hour days. And I just think that's ridiculous. As a director, you have a week to prepare. If you're not prepared after a week, you know, God help you. Because if you are prepared, you can pretty much get people home after 8 or 10 right. hours, you know, and live a normal life. It's, 
it's TV. It's fantastic. I still love it. But it's not life. Life is being with your kids, you know. So, so there are all these different factors that, you know, got into it. But uh, I pushed on Army Wives because I was a regular there. And I said the first season I would like to direct. And they said, no. And the second <laughs> season I said I'd like to direct. And they said, no. Um, finally, the fifth season I got an episode. And... Um, I did pretty well with it. I finished about a half day early on my seven day schedule and they liked the outcome. So, uh, they, you know, they liked the finished episode. So I got another one the next season and the final season I got two. Now, what was that like that first one? Um, directing where you were, yeah, but you're directing these people that, I mean, I just could imagine, you know, the camaraderie mm-hmm. you guys have. I mean, yeah. it's not like you're directing on the first season. It's, it's your, you said the fourth season or third? Fifth. 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 So, so, so you've, you've had four seasons together mm-hmm. and you guys know each other. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you know, your work, the work ethics, which would help, but also it's like, you're still, you know, you're one of the crew and you know, I, I always think like the, like the director who comes in for like a guest, like that comes in for an episode right. is like the substitute teacher. You know, it's right. like, he's not True. your regular teacher. He's, he's not one of you. He's, he's an outsider. What was it like? I mean, was it, were they more, were the, was the other cast, was it, were they more relaxed listening to you than a, a new director or were they like, wait a second. Or were they were they putting pressure on you to you, saying you better not make us look bad? I mean, because it's got to be weird. It, it it there was a certain amount of pressure I think I put on myself from the get go. They were nothing but supportive all the way through. But you could tell that first day it's like okay, let's see let's see what you got. Let's see how good you are. And um, you know these people, as you said, they know their characters. They're really good at what they do. I need to figure out where I'm going to put the camera, you know, how I'm going to pace the thing. And uh, and so and then I go in and I give little acting moments and things they might not have thought of. And if they have thought of it, then I just say, cut, print, let's go. And I, by the end of that first episode, they were all really pleased with my energy as a director. So Now, did you direct yourself in scenes? Yes. Okay, so now that... I mean, it's the whole thing, you know. We all we all think one thing. I mean, right. let's be honest. I mean, when you're when you're acting, and someone's directing you, you're nailing it because that's what you do. You're right. an actor, and you right. know the character. But when you're, I would think when you're acting and you're directing yourself because you're directing other people, I would think that you must somehow get into your own head. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I would think that you sit there and go. Well, you know, I'm telling this person what to do. I better, you know, because we know how our mind works. Right. We know, I mean, it's like anything when you're creative, that process is going. And, you know, like when I'm talking right now, I have 37 things that I'm sure, going to ask you. Right. So as you, did did you feel like, did you, what's it like? I mean, I would think, what's it like to say, cut, do it again to yourself? And that, <laughs> I mean, that to me is just something that must be just weird. That It, it is a little bizarre at first. The one of the episodes I had to do, I was in very heavily. They usually kept me pretty light in an episode I was directing, but there was one where I led an investigation all throughout. Um, and, you know, I, for me, again, it's sort of act, I keep acting very simple. You know, I, I keep it make believe. So I do my job as a director figuring out where the camera's going to be. And then I've also got a first assistant director who's standing behind the monitor and watching. Okay. And he knows, and you know, he can see if it's good or not, or I'm going to be happy or not. So I kind of let that go. So for me, it was, it was simple, but it was also because of that environment. You know, it was Army Wives. It was a well-oiled machine. We were a family. You know, so I had a lot of things working in my favor. So you did the one, and then mm-hmm. you, then you, of course you say to the next season you want to do another, right? And they're they're cool. You mean it's like oh the the next season they I didn't ask. So how'd you get how'd, how'd you get up to two? How because I would have been like I would have been pushing for three or four because <laughs> if they're happy and right. you know as you said you know I mean and I'm sure for you it's you're learning a new craft. I'm sure you could take a I, I'm sure you wouldn't mind taking a lighter role in three shows if you could direct them. Sure, absolutely. But you know we always did around 13 or 15 episodes so there wasn't really an opportunity often to give me two episodes um we also had a really nice stockpile of great directors that had been with us for years and always came in each season so um you know i was happy with one and then in the final season again they uh you know in our renegotiation because after season six was when our contract was up 
So in season seven, when I was renegotiating, one of the things they also said was, we'd like you to do two episodes, which also kept me from asking for too much money. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> so now, why did the series end? Was it just when it's course, or did they say in the beginning it's starting? Because seven years is long. I mean, it was when you great. think about it. it I mean, great. you know, nowadays, you know, you watch TV. Like I watch Boardwalk Empire. It's going on like five seasons. Newsroom mm-hmm. going to three seasons. It's like what the hell? Yeah. Did, did you guys know it was coming, or did you sit there? Was it a surprise? The last few seasons, we always, you know, were on edge because the last few seasons, Lifetime, literally, I don't, I don't mean this in a negative way, but they were kind of trying to get us off. They, they were looking for something better. They wanted something to develop something um, that was going to be the next thing for a bunch of years. And uh, my only real regret about the whole process, because ultimately the factors that went into it were, was it cost effective? You know, a lot of us were making more money than we had before. Um, but it was still their number one show. But the biggest regret for myself and a lot of the cast was our audience was so wonderfully loyal that we didn't get the chance to wrap up the story. They okay. didn't give us that opportunity because they said, we'll probably come back for season eight, and then they nixed us. So that that was the only thing out of you know seven fabulous years that left a bad taste in my mouth. Was there a big, did you get a lot of mail from people? Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, because, and it must. Big push. And it must be great. I mean, that must, you know, th- that's when you know you're on something good. When people sit there and they push. And then now, I mean, because you did start off at Lifetime, it's not like you started at ABC, getting to another network. It's mm-hmm. probably hard to parallel. So, I mean, that must have been great for you. I mean, great feeling out there. The guy was not off there, but a great feeling. Yeah. So, so satisfying. The whole thing was so satisfying. We were, you know, we, yeah. I, you've been in this business a long time, just like myself. There are a lot of times you do a job to pay the rent. This job I was proud of every single day. I was proud of myself. I was proud of every other actor in it. I was proud of the crew and how hard they worked and how kind they were to each other. And I was, I, you know, corny as this might sound, I was proud to be an American. See that's great, and I, now now you and we're not. I was going to talk to you about Seinfeld, but we're not going to get to that. Cause I know you're <laughs> which I always love whenever you know my guests are on Seinfeld. Which sure. you're, you're in the Mutton episode. I was the uh, radio wake up guy. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> but I just had to say that because my girlfriend loves Seinfeld. <laughs> but, okay, so now Army Wise ends, mm-hmm. and you've been on for seven years. Yeah, you're a recognizable face, and now I know you've gone to this show, Granite Flats. Yeah. Now, did you sit? There, and then you said you were in Franklin and Bash and stuff like that. But did you sit there and make a? a choice that said, I want to pursue directing because you direct the show. Yeah. And now, was it something that you said, I've acted and you have the chops and people know you You have the resume. When you have over 100 credits on IMDb, right. you're going to get hired. I mean, the, the, you know, you may have to go audition, but you're going to you're gonna end up on an episode of Castle or something like that or you're going to go out for a pilot or get a series. But what made you decide that say, you know, I want to direct full time? I, uh, I still love acting as much as I did when I first started. And if somebody wants to hire me for acting, God bless them. I'll do it. Um, but I, I love directing. It's so gratifying to be with everybody all day long. It's so collaborative. It's, it's fantastic. When, it, when everybody's doing their job really well, I'm the one who you know, gets the credit for it. It's like, it's, it's just fantastic. It's also very long, long hours. Yeah. I mean, you guys are always there. I mean, that's, right. that's, that's you know, it's crazy. So now what is Granite Flats and how did that come about? How did that job come about? Uh, one of our producers and directors on Army Wives, John Kretschmer, uh, was connected with the executive producer, Scott Swafford from Granite Flats. And Scott had asked John to direct, but John's schedule wouldn't allow it. So John has been a not only my mentor, but a big, big fan of my directing. And so he said, I got this guy, meet him. I did, again, one episode for them, and they brought me back for two more that season. And then this past season, I did four of them. Um, so it's, again, it's just a good fit. And obviously, I'm doing something pretty good at, behind the, the camera. So What is the show about? It's, uh, it's for BYU TV, so it's an independent thing. Uh, but it is not a, a pushing Mormonism. What it is is they wanted a family entertainment show, kind of a drama but lighthearted drama. So this revolves around three kids growing up in the early 60s in a small town called Granite Flats, Colorado, and uh, intrigue starts to uh, get into their town in terms of communism, the FBI investigating those things, satellites and stuff. 
and it just keeps growing and and the writing is fantastic um and so you know this last year we got christopher Plummer. i'm sorry christopher lloyd and uh carrie elwes were guest stars and this past season we got parker posey christopher lloyd is still with us um and george newburn came into the cast now so. what okay well, and that's the thing also we we're talking about when you were on the set earlier with mel brooks and all that what's it like being on a set now you're directing and you're directing christopher lloyd and, and it's so funny you know younger people may know him from watching reruns of back to the future but i remember i mean he just when he came on taxi unbelievable he, he just killed it and you know in the comedy circuit everybody did a jim ignit okie dokie they all did that <laughs> What's that? I mean, what's it like when you, even Parker Posey, who's just such an amazing, amazing actress. Terrific actor. What is it like when you direct someone like that? Do you just sit there and know that they're pretty much, you can give them direction and they're going to do it? I mean, I would think they're probably so good that you sit there and go, this, and they're probably also someone who, if you say, you know, change this, they're probably like, okay. Yeah, they, they really are. For me, there's always that gnawing bit of insecurity which i think is good i think it keeps me on my toes but you know my first day with chris i had that bit of insecurity how, how am i going to direct this guy but for the most part he comes in with the goods and a lot in a lot of ways i can sit back and let him go and then when it's time for me to tweak something like you said he just looks at you and you sort of expect somebody to maybe push back a little bit but he goes oh okay good and he tried, does it, and it's fantastic. So um, you quickly get your, you know, ease back. But I, I always like a little bit of insecurity. I had the same thing with Parker Posey until I, you know, gave her some direction. And, and she was like, oh, yeah, okay, good. So I always think if, if anyone's been in a Christopher Guest movie, you know they're probably just cool right. because it's like they just can do what they want. But the movies come out so well, they probably right. know how to work. Now, as I look, you've done a lot of guest spots mm-hmm. in the last few years. Larry you, Poindexter and I, king of guest spots. Yeah. Now, who who are your guys? Like, because you know, we always talk characters. Because I know Poindexter's friends with uh, he's got him. I guess you, Spencer Garrett. Uh-huh. Is one of them like yep. who? Like who do you see at auditions? Because it's so funny. Like everyone, like the Italian actors I have going. Oh, I see this guy. And, you know, and it's just and it's people. It's just you know when there's breakdowns. You know, it says the role. Like for me, if I go out for a commercial audition, it's usually you know weird looking, odd. You know, I mean this thing. But like, who are the guys you run into? And and you probably become friends because you probably are rooting for each other because you're both in the, all in the same boat. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, and Larry's, you know, the the biggest among amongst them in terms of he and I literally, uh, in many ways, are so much alike that we see each. We know we're going to see each other at every audition. George Newburn is another one. Um, yeah, back in the day, Peter Berg, uh, a guy who directed for us on Army Wives, John Terleski. These were guys I always saw in audition rooms. Now, stuff. do you guys do you guys have a, a friendly like you and you and Larry? Do you guys have like a friendly banter? Like I mean, just like I got that. Oh, you know, I mean, yeah. and not in a, not in a bad way, but it's like with comics when you you work with a comic, you know, and, and they wouldn't be able to follow you. Right? Yeah, follow that, and then but it was it was friendly. Do you guys do it like ah, oh, you know, I got that role? Absolutely. And and the coolest thing is that it's evolved into something really positive. You know, at the beginning. We were all hungry. We all wanted it. We all wanted to break it big. Um, So we were a little, you know, on edge and very competitive. We're still competitive, but now, you know, you got kids and Larry's got kids and you walk in and you're like, hey, go get it, buddy, because if you don't, I'm going to get it. And I, you know, if I don't have it, I'd like you to have it. You know, so it's a, it's a really cool vibe in there. Now, what was it like? I mean, it's just like, you know, I looked mentalist and bones and stuff like that. When you do a guest spot, but when you're on a show. I mean, you have army wives, right? And right. you know, it's one of those things. I, someone, someone uh, posted on Facebook. They said, you know, everyone says it's foreigners who take the job. It's Michael Strahan. You know, he takes everyone's job. You know, how can people get work? <laughs> right. I mean, do, do you ever get not a resentment, but do, do you sometimes sit there and go, people are probably like, wait a second, man, what's this guy doing on our show? Hey. He's, he's already got a hit. Or is it, how do how would stars of shows react to you? Because I'm sure so, some of them watched your show, and it must be weird because you walk in and they think they know you because that character and then i know it's all acting right but then you play something different as is everyone weird like that for you well not not from the stars of shows because they're working they got a pretty secure job more uh the stranger part is walking into an audition with a bunch of actors who know you're on a series right now and they look at you and like dude come on Give us a break, you know. <laughs> Give us a breadcrumb. Give us a breadcrumb. Come on, you're eating a whole loaf. But again, you know, it's always positive, but uh, it's kind of some fun ribbing that we get into. But you mentioned The Mentalist. Um, when I guessed it on that, I met 
a fine young actress named Kelly Williams, and her and I played brother and sister, and I swear it's like we were brother and sister immediately. Loved the girl. And I said to her on set, you got to get on Army Wives. you got to. That next season of Army Wives, the producer comes up to me after the first episode, and he goes, guess who's coming on the show? Kelly Williams. She became a regular on our show. Did so. you... Did you in- Encourage them to audition her, or I had no, I had no Isn't idea. Isn't that weird how that yeah. works? That's so cool. So, so who are, what are some fun times you've been? I mean, I know you're in CSI Miami. You've been in Bones. It's funny, Bones. My girlfriend watches Bones. I've she, I, I, it's so funny. I'll come home and you know she'll be flipping around the TV and like I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? You know, right. it's like you you won't watch a movie. I think a movie I want to see like a second time, but she'll have bones on, and I've I've never seen the show, right? But that seems like it'd be a cool set because David Boreanaz, he seems like a really cool cat. Really, you know, you, sometimes you hear things before you go places, and they're not always the most positive things. And and I had heard some things about that set. I couldn't have been, or those things couldn't have been more wrong. I walked in, and both of them were absolutely lovely, you know, and and fun to be around, you know, and I I like that. I like. I like making the crew laugh, you know, because it makes the day go a little faster. So before they yell action and after they yell cut, I'm the first guy to try and make somebody laugh. Um, and they had that same vibe. So that was nice being there. Now, Granite Run, Granite Flats, mm-hmm. I think there's a Granite Run mall back east. <laughs> Granite Flats, now, you're, you're done the directing. Have your episodes already aired? or? or... No, I think this next season airs uh, sometime in March. And you have four there. of them? Yes, I have four Okay, of them. so now what do you do? Do you want to sit there? Do you want to venture into directing features? Because you've directed Episodic, and mm-hmm. I'm sh- it's, I've heard it's a completely different world, because you're more under the gun on, on right. a feature, because you have to get it done. Right. And that's funny, because we were talking about American Sniper you haven't seen, but they've said about like Eastwood, always... Well, Eastwood's the only director that shoots the movie in order. Right. And then right. he also always comes in before but before the time, which is amazing because he's over 80. Uh-huh. I mean, that just amazes me. Yeah. Now, is, is directing features something you want to do, or is that something that would intimidate you because it, you're still new? I mean, you, you have basically you got seven, eight granite runs. Uh, right. For, you, have, you have 12 episodics on your – and that's that's like being a ba- – not a baby, but you know, you're know you learning every day. Yeah, and you absolutely. And you someone who likes the learning process. Right. Would you – if someone said to you, hey – we want you to direct this feature. Would you take it now, or would you sit there and wait for a little bit till you felt that you were really, really ready for it? Because it's a big—it's a must be a big difference. It would depend on the size of the feature, but I—I I have a feeling I'd say yes. And, you know, again, I think fear and insecurity are fantastic motivators. You know, if they don't—if you don't let them paralyze you. Um, and I, I feel confident that I, I know what I want to do with the camera. I know uh, what a long lens does, and I know what a wide lens does. I know what you know putting the camera lower does and putting the camera higher does. I, I know what kind of impact it can have on an audience. So uh, depending on the script, you know, if it wasn't, I wouldn't go to a major blockbuster, you know, right off the bat. I, I love um, John Favreau, you know, did Swingers, and then did that uh, kids movie about the house. I'm blanking on the name. But it was kind of a fantasy science fiction thing. And the next thing you know, he's doing Iron Man. You know, I mean... And then he does Chef. Great progression. And then he comes back and does what he wants, like Chef. Which is amazing. Yeah, it was a terrific movie. Now, now do you... Now that you've directed, is it different for you to be on set as an actor with a different director? Because not that, you know, it's not... I think it's just normal, you know, anything. And, you know it's a normal when someone tells you what to do and you've done it. Like someone was trying to give me advice a few weeks ago about tell me what kind of guests I should get. And I'm like, you know, you don't even host, they didn't even host (laughs) the show. I'm like, well, you know, these are the guests I get. Well, I never heard of that person. I said, I don't care. And someone goes, oh, well, why can't I be on your show? You got this person. I go, well, that person's a good friend of mine. And right. they're promoting something. Right. This, I, don't, I don't really know you. You're just a comic that, I, that I've met. Right. But now, do you do you sit there when you go into the set? Do you ever sit there and not second guess, but inside your head go, man, I would have done it differently. And I know you seem like a very nice guy, so I'm sure you wouldn't be like, oh, you should do it this way. But do you ever sit in your head going, man, I should have done it that way? Yeah. Well, you know, that's been in my head for a long, long time. That's That's been the the seed that's gotten me to directing, which is anytime on set, I like to take in what a director's doing, positive and negative, you know, and I've stolen from directors that have done, you know, I had this one great director come to me and as I was really trying to find moments that were tough for me, he came up to me after a take and he goes, you know what, I like the path you're walking down. Just Let's just keep walking down that path. And I thought, because it gave me confidence, 
it put me at ease, but he, he let me know I was going in the right direction. Um, so I take the positive and I, you know, take in the negative so I can kind of avoid those things. So I've always done it for years. Now that I am a director, I, I like to think I take that hat off when I come to set and just do my acting. So. It must be weird for you to think back that, you know, you know, that you wanted, your parents wanted you to go into real estate. Right. And here, you know, you're, you're, a, you're a kid who is a college guy. And as they say, when we're in college, we really... We're, as I always say, we're punks. We're clueless. Oh, yeah. But when you, when you were in college and when you actually sat there and said, I want to go to acting, did you ever think that you would be on a critically acclaimed show that ran for seven years and end up in directing? Was that ever in your mind or did you just want to act and said, you know, it's going to, I mean, that's like you've, you've made, had a lot of accomplishments. Did you foresee them? Did you feel them? Or did it just, you sit there now and you go, wow, I'm a lucky guy? Uh, the, yeah, the latter. Um, they take you by surprise. They really do. It's just a journey that you're on, and you hope towards the latter part of the journey, you look back and you go, wow, it's been a pretty good journey. But the beginning part of it, I I just loved making an audience laugh or cry, just like I did with my family. You know, I loved, I used to be able to make my mom laugh, and when she got to a certain point where you couldn't hear her laugh anymore... You that knew. meant she was going to wet her pants, you know, and that was the goal. And uh, and I just love that, and I still love it. Now, are you, are you out auditioning now, or are you out looking for directing? I mean, what, what, is, what is your day like? Do you sit there and go, do you take your agent and go, okay, push me for directing? Because I'm sure if you got, a, not a series, but if you got a series regular, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not a series regular, like a guest star, right. and you missed a directing job, I feel like now in your life, you'd probably be like, Damn it! Yeah. Damn it! You know what? So what do you what do you tell your agent? Okay, I'll take this or get look. I mean, what do they look for for you? Um, I'm a blue collar guy, so just keep me working. If the acting comes first, then I do have to miss something. It might be regrettable, but you know, I I gotta pay the bills. I gotta you know put my kids through college, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I just take what comes along. And um, but right now I am focused on. I don't have a uh, an agent for directing, so getting my reel together and calling up and getting meetings and talking to producers that I've worked with and stuff. That's the bulk of my day right now. Because like you said, the acting, I've, I have a fair amount of credits that'll, that'll come when it comes. Right. So this must be crazy. Cause you sit there and you've, I, you've, I mean, you've directed 12 episodes of TV. It's not like you're just some kid out of film school and it's just amazing that you still have to put a reel together. And it's just, I think so much how this, this industry's changed. I mean, yeah. it used to be all word of mouth. I mean, before it'd be like, Oh yeah, he directed this direct. And just cause you directed a, you directed an army wives, which is a long running show. So they're not going to put some schlub behind there. You know what right. I mean? They're going to sit there and go, well, the guy has chops. It just must be crazy. Cause it must be like, it just must be frustrating. It's, it's and not frustrating, but but you're still new, right? But it just—it must be exciting, but also frustrating, right? Well, it's—it's it's been the story of my career, which is you always got to prove yourself, and that's okay because I just keep trying to do that, you know. So now we have about about three minutes left. Would you mm-hmm. ever encourage your kids to get into acting? Uh, at this point, I don't have a choice. My daughter already is. Um, she is, uh, but what she really wants to get into is comedy. Okay. She's an incredibly talented actor. Um, I haven't seen her comedy. I've seen her do funny roles, but she does sketch comedy and she does stand-up. So uh, she's just come back from Charleston, going to audition for The Groundlings. She's a smart girl. She's seen, you know, her childhood seen me through this process. She knows it's not easy, but it's her love, and I can't deny her that. My son, we'll, we'll see what exactly. I got. I got a few years on that one. Well, I want to thank you for coming in. I'm glad, glad you got to uh, come thank down Thank you, here. Steve. Um, now, what's your social? Are you, are you on the Twitter? Or do you have social media out there? Yeah, and on Twitter, I'm at 2gems57. Two gems are my two kids, and 57 is my favorite number from an old Steve Martin skit. Okay. Now, <laughs> and, do you tweet a lot? Uh, and on Facebook. You know, I did during the uh, Army Wives days. Now I do it sporadically, when it, especially when I have stuff to Twitter. I, I don't, you know, I don't do it just randomly, like, ooh, ate a burger today. Right. I, so, that's why you, now, now do, you, do you Facebook a lot? Um, I check it out every so often, and I I post things that uh, move me or impress me and stuff. So. Yeah, because I say you're you're one of those dollar guys. <laughs> What's that? No, because I know it's when I send messages. You know, because you guys. Oh have yeah. A lot of it says uh, this will go to his other box unless, and then I, you have to pay a dollar. Oh to really? Send a message. I learn, and I, I, then I sit there and go, okay, this this person's someone I want on my show because I, I say if they're a dollar guy, you know, one someone was like, 15. I didn't even know I was a no, dollar guy. I, I don't know. Some I don't know. It's set up in your account. I don't know. It's weird. I don't know if you have the. Where check. does the dollar go? 
Doesn't go to me. To, to Facebook. Oh, I guess. It must go No, because I pay to get it in your regular box. Else right. Mine would have gone to the other box, which nobody That's ever checks. so funny. Anyway, people, so check them out at Twitter, uh, 2 Gems 57 Right, yep. and it's the number two or spelled out two? No, it's spelled out. Spelled out two gems fifty seven. Check them out. Also, people, but the uh, number fifty seven. Yeah, well, so check it. them out, and you yep. got to start tweeting more. Uh, follow yeah. me. Follow me on Twitter. It's at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. I tweet all the time. I tweet jokes. I tweet funny stuff. Uh, send me an email, Cooper at CooperTalk.net. I always like to hear what you have to say. Suggest some guests for me to get. Um, go to my website, CooperTalk.net. I have. 300, about 335 episodes up there. Also, uh, Stitcher, iTunes, it's once again the one word, Cooper Talk. And uh, very soon, my book will be coming out, Stop the Salt, uh, Low Sodium Cooking for One Without Killing Yourself. I'm going to go to the website, will be set up soon called Stop the Salt. It's going to be, uh, you'll be found on Amazon and Kindle. It's just about you know eating healthy because I went through my heart problem and this makes it eat healthy and you'll, you'll be happy and you won't use your salt and it'll be great. And listen to these stations that also play my show because they have great programming. You can go to WSDICHicago.com. Steve Benz is a great guy. You got Brody James over there at AllRadioX.com. He has some really good shows. And uh, I play Saturday nights there. RantRadioNetwork.com is another one I'm on. And the 405Media.com, which is funny. It's a very conservative site. So I get a lot of conservative followers on Facebook, but most of my guests or actors are pretty liberal. So that's what's great. Everyone gets along. And uh, Wildfire Radio, I'll be starting uh, next Saturday, wildfireradio.com. Check that out. My friend Big Daddy Graham has a show on there. Relief pitcher Mitch Williams has a show. So please follow them. Follow them on Twitter. Look them up. That's all I'm going to say. So follow Brian on Twitter. Follow me at Cooper Talk. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. It's time for me to have lunch.